I don't have the monopoly on great ideas. You know, I'm not going to ignore somebody because they might not have a title. I want to hear um, what people have to say. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, welcome to episode 42. Today, we're going to be talking about cosmetics, contract manufacturing, and leading a company through exponential growth. We're going to be talking to a company that actually makes these products in the cosmetic space. You know, oral care, hair care, essential oils, you name it. All of it's on the table at Dynamic Blending. These guys are a Utah-based contract manufacturer, and we'll be speaking to their CEO, Gavin Collier, here shortly. So, what are the three things you can expect from today's episode? Well, first, we're going to talk about Gavin's story, how his career started in contract manufacturing, research, and development, how he became an attorney, how he connected with his co-founder, and ultimately, how all of these experiences prepared him to run Dynamic Blending. Second, we're going to talk about contract manufacturing. We'll get some definition and scope around turnkey contract manufacturing, examples of what this looks like in practice, and finally, some of Gavin's thoughts on the next big things in cosmetics. Third, we'll wrap up with a conversation about dynamic blending's crazy growth. We'll discuss this in the context of having the right team, exceeding customer expectations, and managing growth in operations, supply chain, and production. Gavin has a whole lot to offer in this episode, so if you want to learn more, make sure to head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 42. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. And to show you how easy it is, I'm going to read a quick rating and review from one of our recent reviewers. This one comes from Joe. He says, this is a fantastic show. Chris brings a ton of personality and a refined palate for beer, of course, to a show filled with super smart guests. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Hey, thanks, Joe, for the quick rating and review. And as this shows does not need to be long at all, jump on over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to leave a rating and review today. And with that, let's get you introduced to Gavin. It's time to jump into today's conversation. Our guest today is an attorney turned serial entrepreneur. After attending BYU for undergrad, Arizona for law school, and co-founding multiple companies, he's now focused on his latest venture as the CEO of Dynamic Blending, a global cosmetic manufacturing company that was just ranked number 17 on Inc. 5000's list of fastest growing private companies in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, Gavin Collier. Welcome to the show, Gavin. Thank you so much for having me. This is really great. Happy to be with you. It's exciting to have you on. And believe it or not, after over 40 episodes of Manufacturing Happy Hour, this is the first time we've talked about contract manufacturing. And on that note, we were just chatting as we were getting started about hitting the slopes, skiing. You're based out there in Utah. And let's say you and I are on the chairlift at uh, Brighton out there. And we're going up and we're on, the, we're on the lift with a couple other people. And we get into some small talk. And they're like, you know, Gavin, so I, I get it that you're in 
contract manufacturing. You're a turnkey contract manufacturing cosmetics. But what does that mean? How do you describe that to someone if you're on a chairlift with them? You know, most people think of con- uh, that turnkey um, as kind of a lot of manufacturers call turnkey uh, when something turnkey when they basically provide a product and then they're willing to slap your label on it. Um, here at Dynamic Blending, we look at turnkey a lot differently. Um, and we want to take away as much stress as we can from our customers. So, I mean, we, we've implemented into our turnkey process things that no other manufacturer would ever consider. Um, everything from graphic design services to help develop your label, your logo. We, we assist with branding um, all the way to selection of your packaging. We help with that. Uh, and then all the way from the R&D process, maybe you just have an idea. We'll take that idea and we will actually create a finished good um, that's stable, that's a, a good product that does what you wanted it to do. Um, and then so that by the time your product uh, or your idea hits our, our uh, facility to the end, you have this finished good product that you can turn, turn around and it's ready to, to, to be sold on store shelves or um, however you sell it. But um, we, we really try to um, look for ways that we can um, add turnkey uh, and really be a true turnkey solution to, to our customers. You know, that was one of the things that that really jumped out at me because as someone that's been in manufacturing for, a, you know, just over a decade, it, that seemed to be something very unique about your solution offering just in terms of the breadth of services you, you provide and really taking that turnkey aspect of it seriously. And I want to get into a little bit more on that here towards the middle of the interview, but here on Manufacturing Happy Hour, one of the first things we want to do is get to know you a little bit, Gavin. And I mentioned in your intro, you seem to have a a wide range of experiences. You know, you got a biology degree in undergrad. You went on to law school after that, and now you're founding companies. I'm curious, you know, take us back to Gavin as an undergrad. What direction were you thinking about taking your career? Or was this kind of always part of the plan? You know, I always wanted to be a lawyer, um, but I really liked science. So I kind of did that, you know, right when I uh, basically came back to the States, I I had been living in South America for a couple of years and and picked up Spanish really well. I came back to the States and I wanted a job. And my first job was with a contract manufacturer. I started at the very bottom, bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. And you know, I, I showed my my willingness to learn and my willingness to uh, to do a, a really good job, and so I was promoted quite a bit throughout that facility. To eventually, I was uh, named the uh, manager of the R and D lab, and I and I did a lot of formulations work for that particular contract manufacturer. You know, I worked there for a couple of years and uh, became really good friends with the ownership of that business and and realized that my potential would be capped in, in a way. And I've always kind of thought of myself as uh, getting more from life. So I started exploring different options and I had always wanted to be a lawyer. I, it was always something interesting to me. I kind of think of you know life as, as a game in a way where if you know the rules, you can kind of play it a little bit better. So um, I went and became an attorney. I studied and, and uh, practiced law for several years and my practice kind of started focusing really on um, business relationships and business litigation. And I saw a lot of mistakes um, that people uh, had made in their businesses. And then uh, 
just things that, you know, you wouldn't really think about. Um, and then I also just growing up and, and working in that other contract manufacturing facility, I, I saw a lot of things that they did wrong um, that really made their customers uh, lives difficult. And, and uh, you know, we were able to um, basically not repeat those mistakes as we uh, went on along in our process of building this facility here at Dynamic Blending. Um, but yeah, so I, I practice law. I, I uh, you know, that life is a difficult life to litigate all the time. So I, I was excited to get back into business. Um, and, uh, you know, we were able to, to grow, like you said, we were uh, 17th fastest growing private company in the country. Um, and, and a lot of that is owed to the partnership that, that I have here with my business partner, Jordan Erskine. Um, he, a similar situation. We worked at that same contract manufacturing facility. Um, once I went to law school and, and he had left that facility for another, we kind of separated and hadn't spoken for, with each other for about 12 years. And it was really interesting. I, I wanted to reach out to him and he was Facebook stalking me as well. And, and we reached out <laughs> to each other and, and uh, went to lunch and, and uh, you know, caught ourselves up on, with each other and, um, it was just exciting. It was something like, it was like, it was meant to be, you know, and, uh, as, as we've grown this business, you know, things have fallen in line. Uh, uh, and it, it does just feel like, you know, it's one of those things where it's just meant to be, um, you don't really find a lot of business partners like that, but, but if you do, you, you stay with each other and that, that's my advice. <laughs> yeah. I, I was fortunate to, to listen to at least one other podcast that you and Jordan had, had both been on to hear a bit about that origin story, but I'm, I'm getting some new information that I might've just missed before or didn't realize uh, when I was prepping for this, but it's cool to hear that your first job was in contract manufacturing specifically where, and you got into eventually R and D with that, which as I understand it was part of the origin of dynamic blending. You know, you also mentioned something about uh, your law background. You were doing a lot of business litigation. I have no doubt in my mind that that has helped you out with uh, with uh, your business at uh, Dynamic Blending. But there are other are there other aspects that you feel your law background has helped you out when it comes to being an entrepreneur and a business leader? Well, I, I think just the areas or the barriers of entry. I think a lot of people, when they want to start a business, they they don't really know where to go or how to start. They don't know what what it's going to cost. I mean, I could spin up a business tomorrow, and it you know it'd be easy for me. But uh, but I mean, it just makes life easier there. Um, it also helps out a lot. Maybe you have a customer that's asking for something. You know, I can research kind of what the norm is, and I can tell them no, or I can <laughs> tell them absolutely no. Uh, but, you know, there, there's just, there's a lot of benefits to it, right? You, you understand the rules, you you know how to play the game. Um, and uh, and it also helps just with managing your employees and, and uh, relationships with, with people, with your business partners. It, it's just very helpful. Yeah, it's always interesting because we have a lot of business owners that appear here on Manufacturing Happy Hour, but not one of them has ever had the same background, whether it's law, whether it's, you know, starting out on the ground floor of a job shop. It's it's always interesting to hear the things people pull from those past seemingly unrelated experiences sometimes and apply them to being successful in uh, running a company. Um, when it comes to dynamic blending, as I understand it, you guys started specifically not as a, contra a contract manufacturer, but as an R&D consultancy group. 
Um, can you tell me how you went from that to a full-blown contract manufacturer? So like I said, I was in R&D. Jordan also was R&D, um, a formulator as well. And so we kind of were looking at ways that we could serve uh, the underserved, right? And uh, I think in, in the manufacturing world, there are so many people that have great ideas that just never get the time of day because their initial order is going to be less than 40,000 pieces or less than 10,000 pieces. So, you know, Jordan and I, we, we kind of were, were going around along that route of helping people. And then, you know, we found people that, that wanted to manufacture a product, but they didn't have the money maybe to manufacture those big minimum order quantities. And so we saw an opportunity where there were people being underserved and completely ignored really. Um, and so we started offering, you know, uh, Hey, we can do it. We, we started just floating that along with these people. Um, and they started hiring us and, uh, we realized, you know, we can provide a, a great value to these people, to these customers. And, uh, and that's kind of how it started. We went from, you know, giving them the formula to, Hey, we'll, we'll make it for you. And, and so Jordan and I, we bootstrapped it quite a bit. We bought our mixing equipment and then, you know, it's gone up from there. We, we really automated a lot of things here at dynamic and, um, you know, we've been able to do it in a way where we don't have debt. Um, and, uh, you know, we have this massively successful company, but yeah, that was kind of the transition. They weren't able, we were developing formulas and, um, they weren't able to find manufacturers that would actually make the formula in the quantities that they were able to do. So, uh, we wanted to help them out and we did. Well, it's, it always comes down to, it seems like finding an un, underserved aspect of the market and with large minimum quantities that these groups weren't able to get produced, you were able to address that. And it's inter- it's funny because I think you mentioned at the very start when you were talking about turnkey, you talked about how you do things other contract manufacturers don't do, like really the front end innovation all the way to the graphics design and all the marketing aspects you talked about. Um, was noticing that part of the market being underserved a reason that you went that direction with it? Because I feel like a lot of, when you think contract manufacturing, you really think of the manufacturing portion. You don't necessarily think of the front and back end like that. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of went along with our desire to help our customers. I mean, it's our goal to be partners with them and, and help them succeed. And, and we saw a lot of problems that were created because a lot of our customers initially didn't know how uh, to create a, a, a label that would work on the equipment that we had, or maybe they didn't know who to talk to to do some sort of business function. So, um, you know, we just, because we wanted to be partners, we started helping them. And then it just grew into this whole segment of our business uh, to where, you know, we were able to help them. But what's interesting is, although we started out on these smaller um, runs, I mean, the big, big Fortune 500 companies also want that turnkey solution. I mean, you know, for an executive to be able to turn back to their their uh, their boss and say, "Look, I, I got this product and, and it was delivered on time, and and uh, they hit all their goals because of the, the services that we all we provide in house." Um, it's a big benefit to them. So we've seen a big uptick even from very very large companies that full turnkey solution. Um, and you'd be surprised at some of the names of these companies, but you know. They, they would rather be making money. And uh, if we can do it better, they're, they're going to let us. Um, so it's, it's been really great. Uh, we've been looking for ways to s- solve 
uh, our customers' problems, and it, it's made us a, a more attractive business to do business with. I love the customer-centric approach and how that's really seemed to have driven a lot of the decisions and, and evolution of your company. You know, this is, I think I told you earlier, this this show is kind of a mix of TEDx and how it's made. And, and keeping with that how it's made element, you know, you've talked about a lot of the cool things that you do from, you know, small customers ranging to Fortune 500 companies. Can you maybe give us an example that paints a picture of what you do to make one of these cosmetic products a reality? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, when I, uh, we're usually contacted through our, uh, we, we have sales executives, we have all that, every, every way you could possibly think to market, but usually we'll get a lead that'll come into to our business. Um, and then we generally will set up a, an initial call where, you know, we gather initial information, but we also have a whole new customer packet. And, and that packet really walks the customer through the process and gives us all the information we need to be able to successfully do what they need. Um, so sometimes it's a big company that already has a formula and they'll transfer their technology to us. So our quality department will work with theirs to do that. Uh, but if it's a customer that's looking for a brand new product, um, and they'll meet with our R&D uh, team. So we have a, several chemists that, that would meet specifically with that customer um, based upon what they put on their customer intake form uh, they'll start creating samples. Uh, those samples are then provided to the customer and they're able to give feedback and let us know if uh, we need to make some changes, whether whatever that change may be uh, to the feel of the product, the smell, the color, whatever it is. Um, and then our chemists continually uh, are modifying and providing new revisions of that formulation until the customer receives a sample and they're happy with it. Um, at that same time, while we're developing the product, and once we have that final formulation approved, that's when you're jumping into, okay, designing the label, making the labels, and, uh, and then also the packaging will have been uh, secured during that time. Um, you know, as everything arrives in the facility, um, we, once it has arrived in the facility, we'll set a manufacturing date and, uh, you know, we do all of our quality inspections and, and the product is tested and before it can be released to the, the customer. And, and once it's uh, finalized and ready for release and approved by QA, um, the customer can either have, have it picked up or we can have it uh, shipped to them. So we have a logistics partner uh, that can even provide 3PL services if needed. So we lo really looked at a way to solve every problem for that customer. There is some involvement from the customer, obviously, especially during that R&D phase of the project. Um, but, you know, once that's completed, uh, we're able to really take the reins and then get them their product as fast as possible. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Steamchain.io. Steamchain is the machine-as-a-service company that's transforming the way end-users and equipment manufacturers collaborate, increase revenues, and grow together. Now, what is machine-as-a-service? 
Well, if you're familiar with other as-a-service business models, it works very similarly. Rather than pay the upfront cost of a piece of capital equipment, whether that's a case erector or a canning line or anything beyond that or in between, end users have the opportunity to pay for that equipment based on its usage and performance. This moves investment dollars from CapEx to OpEx and ties this investment to production output. The coolest thing is, machine builders win as well. Through this performance-based financing model, now OEMs can cash in on the increases in throughput and quality that they deliver, generating ongoing post-sale revenue for their business. Steam Chain's machine-as-a-service business model is one of the best solutions I've come across during my time hosting Manufacturing Happy Hour. And if you want to hear more, make sure to check out Episode 5, where we interviewed Steam Chain's CEO and co-founder, Mike Kromicky. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain and make sure to visit them at steamchain.io to learn how you can start working with them today. And now, back to today's episode. Well, sticking to that turnkey aspect all the way through logistics, you mentioned formulation, you mentioned packaging. This is definitely a cosmetics specific question, but in this industry, what what do you see drives more success? Is it getting the formula right or is it the packaging and the marketing? Because you get to see all sides of this. I, I really think, you know, initially it's the marketing, right? They got to have their audience and, uh, um, and then, you know, the products will speak for themselves. You know, if, if you have a great product, people will buy it. Um, and, you know, you'd be surprised some of the success stories and, you know, that initially came into the R and D lab and I, you know, I was kind of scratching my head, but then, you know, it just blows up on the market. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, people know what they want and, uh, you know, that's why they kind of, uh, direct the, the, the R and D process, you know, you're getting their feedback, what they're looking for. Um, and, and it's really a, a really cool process and, and it's really great to see it all come together. Can you share one of the, the wackier or more out of the box things you've seen in the cosmetic space that's uh, come through your door? So cosmetics, you know, it's a pretty broad <laughs> definition, yeah. um, but you know, we, we've had, uh, all kinds of crazy things from, you know, products used to, uh, prepare like a, like Dutch oven type products to, you know, um, we've done, uh, natural lip glosses and, uh, liquid lipsticks that are really innovative, uh, that are actually about to blow up. And, uh, we have a customer that is making some really big deals right now and we're excited for her. Um, and you know, she, her product will be all over the country very shortly. So, um, you know, we can do anything like that. So, uh, anything from your, personal care, hair care, oral care to your, you know, bare fat type products. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was good. You got me thinking I'm a big fan of a good, uh, peach or a Dutch oven peach cobbler for sure. Um, yeah. so it's cool, cool to hear that you delve into that. You know, you mentioned one of, one of the growing, uh, or one of the things that you think is about to blow up. What other trends do you see coming up or what's the next big thing in cosmetics? Well, I think uh, one of the big things that I think is the CBD offering, right? People mm-hmm. really like CBD products. We were one of the very first here in the state of Utah to become a CBD uh, manufacturer of products. Um, and, you know, we worked hand in hand with the state of Utah and, and actually, you know, figuring out what appropriate 
um, you know, the way to roll that whole program out. And uh, so it, it's been a really great process. I think people really love CBD products. I'm seeing that in almost everything. Um, I also, the essential oil market is huge still. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of states where it really hasn't been introduced. And, you know, to know that it's a multi-billion dollar industry that hasn't even uh, near reached any of its capacity, I, I think that's an exciting area um, still. And, uh, and so, I mean, CBD and essential oils are still big, but we've also seen a big boom in, in uh, you know, luxury type toothpaste and uh, things like that, which, you know, I never would have thought uh, I would ever buy a vanity toothpaste, but people want it. So <laughs> what, <laughs> make it. <laughs> what makes a toothpaste luxury? Cause as long as it keeps the cavities out and keeps my teeth clean, that that's my concern. But what, uh, do you, what's the characteristic of that? I mean, that's, that's my same thinking, but uh, <laughs> also, I mean, <laughs> you know, they want very fancy uh, packaging or maybe the mark, you know, along that marketing line, or they want some, some ingredients that, you know, may cost a little bit more than what you'd have in a normally, a normal toothpaste, but, you know, they provide a benefit that, you know, nobody else has considered. And, uh, you know, that, you know, it can be luxury because of the cost per unit that this customer is ready to pay. Um, but I mean, Usually it's the packaging. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will certainly be keeping my eye out for boutique toothpaste here uh, in the future. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It sounds like you've got to do some cool things over there. I have to ask about some of your growth and, and the business there at Dynamic Blending as well, because we, we've mentioned it a couple times, number 17 on Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies list. Um, and I believe the metric that I saw was that you guys grew over 10,000% last year in 2020. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It was like 11,300 and something percent. Um, it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy well, to be a part of that growth. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I have to ask, can you take me through, I mean, some of the steps or things that you guys did to, to spur that kind of growth? Yeah. I mean, what it really comes down to is, you know, I th for, for us, I felt like it was very important again with that customer, uh, you know, willingness to, to help the customer. We want to make that experience great and, and we want our customers to return to us. So, you know, a lot of our growth was attributable to customers that grew exponentially. Um, and, and, uh, you know, these were people that were totally ignored by the, your average contract manufacturer. Um, we provided service to them and because we were loyal to them, they grew and uh, you know, well, they were growing because of their great product, but uh, they were loyal to us because we gave them a chance that nobody else would. So, you know, we want to create that true partnership and we had several very large, well now very large companies um, come out of our R&D process. So, um, that was a big part of the, the success. Um, I think the other big, big component is obviously having the right team. Um, you know, you come to dynamic, we are the experts. If you want uh, to take a product through the OTC uh, drug process, we can do that. I mean, we, we even help uh, universities with their drug applications. Um, we, we uh, can provide a level of service that I think no other contract manufacturer would even think to provide. 
Um, and it's everything from just, you know, giving uh, knowledge that we may have that the customer doesn't have. We want to help them. So our quality department, uh, it's top notch. I mean, these people are, we're all fortune 500 uh, executives in quality and now they're here at dynamic. So we built a really great team. So, I mean, I can't take the credit for, for, for the work that our team does and, and, you know, I, I uh, am grateful to them uh, and they all work very hard. And, uh, you know, it, it's a combination of great customers and a great team. I was going to say, it all goes back to people. You know, you start out, it, you, yep. you've had a lot of customer centric answers talking about the team there as well. And you got a top notch quality group. You know, we've got some operations leaders that listen to this show as well. And and with increases in sales um, and having the right people, that's one thing. But, you know, at some point, does capacity become an issue and you know, how do you maintain quality and supply chain standards when things are growing that exponentially? Yeah, I think it really comes down. I think it's like sports, the fundamentals. I mean, our, our uh, training regimen is very strict. Um, and, and the people that we use in the places we use them, they're, they're trained, they know their job. Um, but you know, the big problem with rapid growth is you need capital usually. Um, we've, you know, Jordan and I have been very smart in a lot of the investments that we've made. And so we've been able to, uh, self-fund our, our growth, which I think most big startups would run into big problems. Right. Um, but I mean, we, we wanted to keep it, um, keep as much control as we could as the owners of dynamic. And, and we've been able to do that, but. Uh, it really comes down to also just not making uh, dumb mistakes. I mean, your quality department will help you with that, uh, but also just creating a, a, an environment where your employees are willing to speak up, that they feel like they will be heard. Um, I don't, I always tell people around me, I don't have the monopoly on great ideas. You know, I'm not going to ignore somebody because they might not have a title. I want to hear um, what people have to say. And, and be able to look at things in different ways. And uh, we've been able to do that. And, you know, surprisingly, you know, you'd, you'd think um, some of the people that chime in sometimes, you, you know, I think on the surface, people wouldn't give them much uh, attention. But I think if you are willing to listen as a leader, um, you can learn a lot from your employees. And that's what we've done. And uh, it, it's helped us a lot. Huge piece of advice there. You know, I, I love comparing it to the the sports fundamentals, getting the blocking and ta- blocking and tackling right. But you know, the line yeah. you just mentioned, you don't have the monopoly on great ideas. You empower your team. I mean, everything you do, Gavin, seems to lead back to you know the customer and the team members you have, and empowering them to get you know to get the results that have shown up in your business so far. My, my job is to help them. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, so it's not, maybe you've already answered this question in a lot of ways, but is there anything else you do as a leader to lead through that type of exponential growth? You know, you talk about having the fundamentals, you talk about empowering your, your team members and there. Any, is there anything else that you do as a leader that makes this all possible? I mean, I think, uh, Every leader is a little bit different. I think, you know, you have to lead by example, obviously. I mean, that's kind of the, the easy answer. Um, I think the, the harder answer is, you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And, and uh, if you really believe in something, you got to risk a lot, right, to get it. And uh, 
just thinking back uh, to the journey that, that I have gone through and that Jordan has gone through and the amount of risk that we have <laughs> risked. I mean, that, you know, we've, we've made a big wager and we risked everything that we had our successful prior careers. Um, but we were willing to do it because we believed in what we were doing. And, uh, so, you know, if you, if you really believe in it, you gotta be willing to do what it takes to, to get where you want to go. And, um, and you know, it's scary. It should be scary looking back at what you had to do to get to where you are. And I, and I think, um, if anybody has looked at my story, you'd be, I had a lot of people tell me you're crazy, you know, it's not going to work. Um, but if you truly believe in something, you know, you gotta be willing to, to do what it takes to get what you want. So, I mean, that, that's kind of my mantra as a leader. Leading by example and putting your money where your mouth is. You have been full of great advice today, Gavin. I do have another customer centric question for you. You know, they, your customers have come up from start to finish throughout this interview. And in fact, when we were chatting earlier today, you were talking about, you know, doing the right things and taking the call from your customers and things like that. When, when was that value instilled in you or how, how has that become kind of your hallmark of success in, for lack of a better word? You know, I think it's just having compassion for other people, um, understanding that, you know, money can be important, but I think the relationships you, you create in your life are more important. Um, I want to help people be successful. So if it means, you know, that a, a batch went bad and, and I've got to eat the cost of that, I'm going to do that. If I can preserve the relationship and, uh, help my customer. And, you know, we've, 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 uh, we're just trying to help them grow. Um, I think if you do things like that, you, you do create loyalty from your customers. They won't go anywhere and you can raise your prices and they don't really care. They'll kind of make a fuss a little bit, but then they, they know that you do things that nobody else will do. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the answer I, I would give to that. Well, you've given us a lot of good advice from how to treat your customers, how to treat your people, operations. This has been fun. We got to talk contract manufacturings. We got to talk uh, Dutch ovens and the next big thing in uh, cosmetics. We have covered some ground today. The last thing I have to ask you, Gavin, is how can uh, people find and connect with Dynamic Blending? You know, we have, if you go to our website, dynamicblending.com, uh, you can reach somebody there or uh, you can reach us through our LinkedIn profile or Facebook profile. Have a big customer uh, centric focus. So, you know, somebody will contact you if you, if you try. Well, I've got your web page on one of my other screens right now. And the first thing that pops up in the lower right hand corner is a, a little dialogue box that says, How can we help you today? So, Kind of goes back to everything you've been talking about today, Gavin. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, this has been fun. For those of you listening, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thanks to Gavin and Dynamic Blending for making this episode possible. Honestly, when, when I first heard about them and learned how much they were growing, I'm like, we need to get this message out there because no doubt he has a lot of knowledge to share and he did share a lot of knowledge. So with that, make sure to head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 42 to access all the resources and notes from today's episode. 
As we wrap up, just want to say thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Steam Chain. If you're experiencing rapid growth and you're a contract manufacturer, if you're an end user, Steam Chain could actually be a perfect solution for you. Their machine as a service platform allows you to invest in new production equipment, new manufacturing technology, and pay for performance, pay for results, pay for output, rather than pay for the capital equipment itself. Make sure to check them out here on Manufacturing Happy Hour, where you can learn all about Steam Chain's machine as a service platform. In episode five, just head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain to listen to that episode. And with that, we're going to wrap things up today. If you are enjoying the show, as always, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. And in the meantime, we've got more episodes coming for you next week. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.